What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. My name is Greg Smith, and I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. And if you're listening to this now, you might be expecting an episode about football, and that is not what's going to happen on this show. Uh, moving forward, I'm going to rebrand the podcast a little bit. Um, football is great, and don't get me wrong, there will still be plenty of football talk on this podcast feed, but I also have the desire to branch out into some non-football topics. So uh, on this episode, we're going to talk about fantasy baseball, uh, but in addition to other sports, I also want to dig into some other stuff I'm interested in. Uh Board games, pop culture stuff, you know, movies and music and all that stuff. And I, I don't really know how it's going to be scheduled necessarily, but I mean, when football season rolls around, the podcast is mostly going to be football. So again, if you're here for the football takes and the 2QB talk, you're still going to get that. But during the off season, because I'm not a huge dynasty football guy, I'm going to look into talking about some other stuff. And I hope that if you enjoy the original podcast, you will enjoy these kind of new iterations of the show. Uh, hopefully you just like hanging out with me. I think that's half the reason you, you listen in the first place, most likely. Um, it's hard to know exactly where this is all going to go, but it is going to change. And if you have any questions about that, just hit me up. Uh, like I said, I'm on Twitter at Greg sauce and I want to hear your feedback. So if this is working for you, let me know if it is not working for you, let me know. Like the, the more feedback I get, the more I can tailor the show to you, the listener, and hopefully find something that one, keeps me happy, you know, producing the show and makes you happy listening to the show. Um, so with all that housekeeping out of the way, uh, I want to prime you for what you're going to hear on this episode. Uh, it's going to be a discussion of fantasy baseball strategy relative to the Barf League. Uh, this is the Bay Area Rotisserie Fantasy League uh, that I'm in with a bunch of other analysts from around uh, the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, Lore Michaels, the late great uh, Lore Michaels, came up with the name of the league. The league is organized by Justin Mason, uh, so uh, big shout out to him. Props to Justin for putting the league together uh, and you know keeping it going all these years. You know, further thanks to Arbar Todd. Uh, he hosts the the draft every year at the Rec Room in San Francisco. Uh, it's a great bar to go watch a game, go play some Papa Shot, and the art on the wall above the urinals in the men's room is always on point. Uh, <laughs> this time it was a, uh, a Stay on Target uh, mural, uh, you know, Star Wars themed, uh, you know, right above where uh, it is important to stay on target in the men's room. Let, let's let's be real. Uh, anyway, the, the league itself is a 14-team mixed league rotisserie scoring uh, it's five by five categories, except instead of batting average, we use on base. And instead of wins, we use quality starts. Uh, the rosters are relatively standard. We use, uh, you know, nine generic pitching spots, two catchers, uh, all the infield positions, uh, a, a corner infield, a middle infield, five outfielders, a utility, and we have five bench spots. So relatively regular rosters. Uh, the stat categories are the big differences, and the fact that it's 14 team means that we're going pretty deep here. So with all that background and all those disclaimers out of the way, I'd like to welcome Sammy Reed to the show. Check out his work on Roto Grinders. Check out his Baseball Holics podcast and follow him on Twitter at Sammy Reed FI. Sammy, what's up, man? How you doing? Dude, I'm doing awesome. We uh we got our first baseball draft of the season out of the way, and we had a hell of a good time, so... I'm uh, I'm excited to be on the pod and and kind of help out with the branch out here. Yeah, man, and I mean first draft for sure. Like this was definitely uh, one of those drafts where I did not feel nearly prepared enough. And kind of full disclosure for the listeners here, I haven't actively written about or podcasted about fantasy baseball for a couple of years, and because this draft was so early, like. I don't know. I just, I didn't feel ready at all. My brain is still like halfway in football mode, even though football season is well over. I, I have no problem admitting that the Barf League draft was as much a learning experience for me as it was in like 
an exercise in my touting abilities. Like, I feel like I'm good at evaluating stat lines for previous seasons and trying to forecast the value of those players. But what I'm not good at anymore is kind of staying tuned into the deeper depths of player evaluations. You know, the players with small or non-existent MLB sample sizes, uh, the edges that some players are going to have or, or not have in playing time battles, etc. So that means I'm forced to rely a little bit too much on public projections when I'm drafting this early. And so that's how I end up drafting like Anthony Swarzak in the Barf League. Like not only did I draft him before Hunter Strickland got drafted, the the guy who's supposed to be the closer in Seattle. I also drafted Swarzak before other relievers who appear to have a, a more direct path to saves now that I've like had a few days to kind of reflect and look at it. Now in this case, I'm generally okay with the Swarzak pick because I don't really like Strickland, but you get my point. A- anyway, what I'm getting to is somewhat selfishly I'm bringing Sammy in here to school me up a little bit just as much as you guys the listeners and before I act as the proxy for the audience and ask you Sammy to tell me where I went wrong in my draft let's kind of talk about some bigger picture topics with the Barf League and its settings and I'm I'm just going to start with a couple general questions first of all is on base percentage a better rotisserie stack category than batting average what do you think uh it is for me and this is I mean it's really a personal choice. I think that so many people have been playing fantasy baseball for like 10, 20 years and they've grown up playing with average to where any change in those settings, they feel like it's foreign and like people are afraid of change. And you know, so I get it. I get it. I totally get it for me. It's way better for a couple reasons. Number one is it's more stable year to year. So the guys that generally have good on base one year are good the next year. You know, there's not as much fluctuation Um, and I think the second thing is that it's a truer measure of a player's talent, right? A guy who walks a hundred times a year, but doesn't have a great batting average. That's really valuable in real baseball. It should be valuable in fantasy. And thirdly, and this is a point that kind of gets overlooked is take a guy like Mike Trout, right? He walks a lot. Um, and he also has a good average. So he's good in both formats, but in on base percentage, all his plate appearances count, right? Right. So it's his hits and his walks, they all count, as opposed to his batting average. In an average league, you hate it when he walks. Because if he hits 310, but he only has like 550 at-bats, it matters less than a guy who hits 310 over 650 at-bats and doesn't walk a lot. So I think that it gives you a truer picture of a player's measure. So I'm definitely team OVP. I, I like how you said take a player like Mike Trout as if there are other players like Mike right, Trout. right, 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 right. <laughs> well, I didn't want to like talk about some of the players that I ended up taking, like say Joey Votto or Joey Gallo, like those kind of guys, also, right? Yeah, for sure. Now, do you have any issue with the fact that on base and runs scored tend to stack a little bit better than average and runs scored? Like, do you get what I'm saying? Like, you know how sometimes if you yes. were to play in a league that has OPS and home runs, generally you just want it's like home run derby when you play those sorts of leagues, right? Is right. do you have the same concerns here with the overlap between on base and runs scored? You know, there definitely is a little bit, and you know, I think it's in some ways it is what it is because it's not just going to be on base percentage that factors in a runs. Obviously it's going to be like strength of lineup and where they hit in the lineup. So it is a factor, but you know, it's just one of many factors. So for me, it's like, okay, I don't think it's like there's too much overlap to where it, it turns me off. 
Yeah, me neither. And this is one of those things where, like you said, they, they're both fine, like on base, average. The, the key is that you kind of know what the stack category is before you go into the draft, that you draft with key. those categories in mind. Yeah, we were Justin Mason and I were talking a little bit about this during the draft, and we were discussing like quality starts and whether or not quality starts is as good of a stat as it maybe was five years ago relative to something like wins. Do you think that it's it's worth you know still using quality starts in a league like this in the modern baseball era because six inning starters are becoming less and less common teams are starting to use openers instead of starters which completely hoses quality starts like yeah. what, what are your thoughts on quality starts the stat because i'm starting to soften my stance like i was gung-ho for that stat for a long time but it seems to be kind of this dying part of baseball and i don't know if that stat is relevant anymore what do you think yeah, I mean, you and me are kind of on the same page. Like, I'm fully team quality start, and I'm definitely a guy who realizes the shortcomings of quality starts. Um, and I just think that it's better than wins, and it always has been better than wins. And most people disagree because, again, they've been playing with wins for, you know, 15, 20 years, and they're afraid of change. But the reality is, is quality starts is just a way better measure of a pitcher. Right. It, it has way less team context. It depends more on the pitcher than it does, you know, a, a team. It's one of those things where, like, you have two starters facing each other in a normal league. Only one of them can win. And yeah. if they both give up no runs, neither of them gets a win. It's like the most tilting thing ever. But in quality starts leagues, they both pitch good. They both go seven scoreless. You get two quality starts like it's way more fair. They're just way more superior to wins over the big picture. As to your specific question, I'm starting this often as well because yeah. all, all those things you mentioned, I mean, there are still starters who will get 25 quality starts, but they're becoming less and less frequent. And it's sad for me because I like really liked quality starts, but yeah, they're becoming so rare now and the game is changing in so many ways that we may be getting toward a tipping point where we have to go back to wins and just and just take it on the chin. So it is what it is. Is there some other way we could do this? Like in in the perfect world, like what would be like the true measure of a quality start? Because I mean, yeah, the quality start is itself is kind of a made up stat, right? It's like six innings, three earned runs. Those are both arbitrary numbers. Like, can we redefine the stat to make it something that's more applicable to today's Major League Baseball? Absolutely. I mean, it would be uh, like one of the things that people have been clamoring for that I think is really sharp is like a sliding scale of quality start, right? two earned in five innings or three earned in six innings, four earned in seven innings, some sort of like all encompass, like some sort of sliding scale, right? Not yeah. just one hard and fast six and three or better. Right. Um, and that helps make up for starters that aren't going six innings because very few do. It, could it be like a quality outing kind of deal to, to help take care of the opener so that you don't actually have to start the game to make that happen? Sure. Um, Right, and you would you know? get, what, like some fraction of a, a quality open, uh, where like if you went three innings and didn't give up any runs, that would be worth like .3, and if you went five innings and only gave up one run, that would be worth like .8, and then like the traditional like six innings, three runs would be like a full quality open. I, I don't know like how you legislate that for a roto league, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it seems like it would overlap too much with ERA. Yeah, for sure. I think it's one of those things where quality starts, the good part of it is that you do have to go X number of innings. I just think that the threshold for that 
the way the game is played now is is getting so much smaller that it should kind of be redefined. Like if a if a starter these days goes five innings and only gives up two earned runs, that's a quality start. You're pumped, right? So that's you know. I mean, <laughs> what what's the is the right answer? Just like points leagues or something like that? Because this is one thing that I really do cling to when it comes to fantasy baseball is I love rotisserie scoring. Like I really don't yes. want to play head to head. I don't really like points. I, I love kind of the elegance of roto baseball and i don't know how you fix quality starts without making it too much like a win or too much like era yeah i i agree like i'm out on points because that's the thing about like fantasy football right everything has a point value and just gets like you know sifted into a point number and the thing about Roto Baseball that I think is great is manipulating the categories. Yes. Having to have a balanced team, right? And trying to put all these puzzle pieces together, it's like Tetris. You know, it's not just knowing, like, what guys are going to do or who's good. It's being able to put all those players together in, like, in a, you know, like, putting all the ingredients together and, like, cooking it the right amount of time. It's It's knowing all that stuff. And there is something really... There's a lot of tactics and strategy to that that I think are lost in points leagues. It's like, okay, like I'm just going to take the guy who's going to score the most points. Like, cool. Yeah, you figure out what the like the easiest way for players to score points are. You find those efficiencies, you find those inefficiencies, and you play towards that with your picks. And right. Roto just gives you more creativity room, essentially, because you can draft a guy with a terrible average or a terrible on base if you draft another guy who's going to balance that out because his on base is really good. Uh, or, or you can really steer into like an unbalanced roster and completely punt a category because it's going to help you win so many other categories, something like that. And that's I, I agree with you. I think that's like the brilliance of the format, and it's one of those things that I, I never want to see go away. Now, bringing it back to the Barf League, I, I, I did talk to Justin a little bit about maybe getting rid of quality starts, but just in general, ideally, what does your perfect roto scoring system look like? And it doesn't have to be 5x5. Five five. Like, if you want to add categories to traditional 5x5, five five, like, that's cool with me. Like, where do you land on, like, the quote-unquote perfect fantasy baseball league? So, with the caveats aside that we talked about earlier with quality starts... Um, I play, I have a couple of like long-term keeper leagues that I've played in with a group of friends, uh, including like Doug Thorburn. Um, and they've been going like 17 years, something like that. And a couple years ago we went to my ideal setup. So I, I actually have this answer ready. It's basically the barf setup. It's, it's on base instead of average, but instead of home runs, it's also slugging percentage. And I think slugging percentage, obviously, like for me, it's way better than uh, home runs because home runs is just one category. Like, why shouldn't a guy get a ton of credit for his doubles and triples also? Yep. You know, like a couple couple years ago, Jose Ramirez, um, he had, I mean, just a crap load of extra base hits. You know, he only hit like 20 something homers. I think this was two years ago, but he also had like. 40 plus doubles and like close to 10 triples. Like he slugged like 580 something, even though he only had like low twenties in home runs, but he was an elite elite slugger because he hit so many doubles and triples. And I think you should get a lot of credit for that. And the other thing I really like about on base and slugging is that people who like batting average, batting average still plays a big role, even though it's not uh, a category in and of, of itself it still is a huge part of both on base and slugging. And so average still has 
its day in the sun in terms of on base and slugging league. So I'm fully on that. And then the other pitching category, this is going to be pretty, uh, this is going to be pretty controversial, but I feel really good about it. I hate saves. And we recently went to nets. We went to saves plus holds. And, uh, it sounds bad. And because holds themselves are like a bad category, but it's actually really, really awesome. And uh, if you want, I, I can go ahead and tell you why. I just feel like I've been talking for a while now. No, I mean, I, well, just in general, like, uh, how many teams are in this league that you're talking about? Because I think that does affect, like, whether or not saves versus holds or saves plus holds. Like, how that stat plays out, I think, depends on how many teams you have. Like, what, yeah, what are you, so, what are you so, talking about? So, I mean, there's a, we play in – we have three different leagues. One of them's a 12-team mixed. The other two are eight-team onlys. Okay. So, they – so an eight-team NL and an eight-team AL, and so they basically play like sixteen-team mixed depth. Gotcha. Yeah, and I think that when you start to go deeper, it does make some sense to devalue saves a little bit and increase the value of holds, just because there aren't enough closers to go around. There just aren't. And I mean, that is part of the strategy. If you're not playing with holds, you have to factor that in. But I, I agree that like you have to get a little creative, like with these stat categories. One to make to make it unique from a standard five by five, because that's one of the great things about barf and about these home leagues that we're in is that you can't just go to Yahoo or ESPN or CBS or whatever fantasy site you want and get, you know, cookie cutter rankings or cookie cutter ADP. Like I like leagues where the settings are so different that you actually have to think outside the box a little bit more on purpose. Like you intentionally have to try to wrap your brain around a different context of, of which, you know, this fantasy baseball is taking place. Yeah. And everyone's not just looking at like standard rankings and like, you know, drafting off the same lists and stuff like it really, yeah, it makes you think. And I'm, and I like that. It makes you, you know, kind of play with your own rankings. And mm-hmm. I mean, like, Greg, the thing I like about net saves and holds is that you just basically draft the best relievers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're not drafting a role. There are so many closers that, you know, you mentioned Swarzak, right? Yeah. But there's so many. <laughs> I mean, Don't remind so me. Many, yeah. The, you know, <laughs> Blake Parker and. You know, uh, Greg Holland and Matt, you know, Brad Boxberger, like these guys suck, right? Like I should not have to draft that guy. What I would like to do is just draft bomb ass relievers. I would like to draft Dylan Batances high just because he's really good. I would like to draft Andrew Miller high just because he's really good instead of like, oh, I'm going to take a shot on Michael Givens. Like that's lame. That's lame to me, right? You're drafting a role. You're not drafting the player. And I think something that people need to understand about saves is that closers still get more saves than than setup guys get holds right yeah so the role is still valuable of a closer it's just not everything like the skill of the pitcher is more important in hold, in saves and holds leagues and it's not like this arbitrarily defined stat you know there's only like at any time like 30 guys who can even get a save right mm-hmm. and it's to the manager's discretion and it's like why, why are we doing this to ourselves why is this the one stat that is like there's a finite resource and you literally can't get any more of it once all the guys are taken. I just think like saves by itself is is actually really bad and we should rethink the category. Yeah, I mean, if I was going to push back on you a little bit with regards to this, like, just draft the best relievers sort of mentality, I think that we might just naturally be getting there based upon the way the league is going, right? Like, the same way that starters aren't going deeper into games, like, these teams are starting to realize, these managers are starting to realize, 
I should use my best relievers in the highest leverage situations. So sure. a, a lot more often we're seeing guys like split save opportunities with other dudes in the bullpen. And I think that naturally what that should push us to do as fantasy owners is to, again, go after those guys who are the best relievers uh, in general, like not the guys who are going to get the most saves. So I don't know if we need holds necessarily, because like you said, that's a flawed stat. But I, again, I like just the fact that you're thinking outside the box, that you're creating a different angle in your leagues that you have to attack, right? And I think that that's cool. Like for me, I'm totally on board with you in terms of the the batting categories and like trying to inflate the value of things that aren't just home runs. Um, in my home league, we we have the standard five by five categories, but we add on base and we add doubles, just raw doubles. And it has that same sort of effect. Like you were talking about with Jose Ramirez, where suddenly he is an even better player because he, he smashes all these doubles, but the, the challenge of coordinating a team that can rate high in homers and in doubles is trickier than it sounds. And it's one of the really cool things I like about my home league on the pitching side, we add quality starts to win. So we have both, which is kind of a bad idea, but then we also add walks. And what that does is it makes it so you can't just kind of arbitrarily just chase all the starting pitching stats possible because you're right, just going right. to kill your chances and walks. And also we still have saves. So you're going to lose value in the reliever categories as well. It's yeah. I think that there's, there's a lot of space to play here and, ultimately if i'm you know speaking to the listeners i would just say find stats that you know you think are a good reflection of what's important to you in baseball you know what i mean yeah absolutely completely agree like at the end of the day none of this is right or not right like it's all opinion based and it's all like what do you like what do you want out of your fantasy league you know but i think the most important thing is to really ask yourself that question and not just say oh this is the way we've always done it so you know, let's do that. So you want to be like somewhere between that and like those crazy leagues where it's like 10 by 10 and it's like, Mm -hmm. what's even going on here? Yeah. I do think there is an argument to be made for like five by five, six by six, seven by seven. I think the, if you keep adding and adding categories, ultimately it just becomes like galaxy brain nonsense where. Right. And a lot of redundancy. Yeah, exactly. Like things are going to overlap too much and, and that's its own set of problems. But I do like the notion that you shouldn't just stick to something because it's tradition necessarily. Like there are some categories that we do want to keep around. Like we always want to root for home runs. We want to root for strikeouts. Like this stuff is permanent, I think in baseball, but at the same time, don't be afraid to shake things up. Like that's one of the things in football that like the Scott Fishbowl does really well is he changes the settings literally every year just to keep people on their toes and to make us reanalyze the sport and, and the fantasy game from a different angle. And I think that that's super important in, and it makes you a better fantasy player too. Like, cause if you can start to see the angles on all these different formats, uh, it's kind of like the same reason you want to be good at seasonal and DFS and best ball is because they teach you different skills and how to evaluate players, how to evaluate matchups, all that stuff. And I think that that's really cool. And I think that playing with your scoring settings can do that. Sammy, we've talked way too much in the abstract here. Let's talk about the barf draft specifically. And cool. in general, this is a, a 14 team league. So I'm curious, how did your strategy change in this draft compared to like, a 10 team or a 12 team mixed league that I feel probably most of the listeners are going to be playing in this season. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I think one of the biggest things is just understanding scarcity. And I think that, you know, scarcity is something that for a long time people thought of, you know, as positions like, Oh, second base, you know, there's not that many good players or whatever, but I think the, the more important one, and I'm not the only one to point this out is, is statistical scarcity. What, 
stat categories are scarce. That's what we're playing with, right? We have 10 categories of scoring, and you don't get any more points for finishing first in home runs than you do for finishing first in strikeouts. You get 14 points for both. So what makes one category more valuable than another one? And it's the depth and the availability of that category, particularly later in the draft. And, and so, can, can I jump in real quick? And the other yeah, thing that we, we can't forget is that it doesn't matter if you win home runs by one home run or 50 home runs. You still only get 14 points for that. And that's another crucial part of this, I think. So just kind of throwing that out there, too. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, balance is key and, and overdoing it. That's that's the thing about, you know, like you said, Roto versus points. I'm just not like looking for all the home run hitters. I have to create a balanced team across a bunch of different categories. And so I think going in, understanding the depth and the availability of guys who produce certain categories, I think is really, really important and becomes that much more important in a 14 team league because obviously it'll be thinner. Um, and the guys who are at the top and can, can produce certain categories are going to go a lot quicker. So it's like, how do I get that on my team? You know, the draft very much to me is not, let me create like a team that's going to win a championship. Like this is the guys I drafted. A lot of them won't be on my team by the end of the year. It's can I, how do I accumulate the most valuable resources to enter the season with? That's the way I think of a draft. Right, and how do you play your picks off one another? I mentioned this a little bit earlier before. Like, If you take one guy who's going to be a drain on your OBP, how do you compensate for that? Or how do you steer into that skid by making sure that, okay, like OBP isn't that important to me, but I need because of that I need to make sure I'm even better in these other categories. And that's definitely um, something to keep an eye on. Now, are there any overarching trends that you've kind of come to expect in this specific league versus the others you're in? Like, for example, I find that pitching generally tends to carry higher prices in the barf league than in most of my other leagues. Is there anything like that for you? Yeah, I think I think pitching definitely tends to go earlier, and I think it's proper for it to. You know, you'll see this a lot in the NFBC, the high stakes leagues, uh, and especially draft and holds because you need to have so much pitching in there because pitchers always get hurt. Um, and you see it in barf as well. I think because it's a quality starts league, uh, quality starts, just like we were talking about at the top, are becoming a scarcer and scarcer resource. So the guys that produce 20 to 25 quality starts a season are super rare. They're super rare. You can't just stream quality starts. Like, that doesn't happen. You stream scrubs, they go four and two-thirds. Like, it's not going to happen for you. So I really think that those guys tend to go earlier. And then I think in general, and we saw it in this draft, uh, and you see it in a lot of quote-unquote industry drafts, is that closers tend to go a little later and particularly like this draft was on february 9th the week after the super bowl like half of the closing situations were just like kind of guessing at so those those got pushed down a lot too yeah hence the swarzak pick um <laughs> right right, right. <laughs> but like edwin diaz was the first closer off the board and he went in the you know the the beginning of the seventh round like i think diaz went like 20 picks past his nfbc adp which is like that's pretty significant yeah, I was surprised by that. I expected him, at the very least, to go a lot earlier because he is so locked in. We know he has the skills needed to kind of maintain that stranglehold over the you know top closer mantra, oh, yeah. um, or mantle, I should say. Not mantra. But, um, man, here I go with the, the word dyslexia. Um, <laughs> Lizdexia. Lizdexia in full effect. Um, so let's, let's talk about some of these specific picks. And Francisco Lindor, he's going to miss a number of weeks here from like, what is it? A quad strain or a hamstring strain, something like that. 
calf strain. Calf strain. He went eighth overall. Does that feel right to you? Um, it doesn't necessarily feel wrong because Lindor was probably the number three pick in in normal five by five leagues. So you know, to to get him in the middle of the first seems fine. I'm still trying to wrap my head around what I think about Lindor, but I would probably take Trevor Story over him right now. And you got Story on the two three swing from the number one pick. So uh, I think Lindor was a fine pick, but I think you kind of knocked it out of the park by getting that kind of value on, on Trevor's story where you did in comparison. Sure. But I mean, if we've talked a lot about how pitching tends to be highly, more highly valued in this particular group of drafters, like that's the yeah. reason I got story where I did. Like, I think he should have gone somewhere in the second round, but he made it to me at the wheel. And right. I, at the same time, like, because all those elite starters got, like, I was planning to take a pitcher at the 2-3 turn, but by the time it got to me there, it was like, my best option was probably Blake Snell, and yeah. I'm not the type of player who pays for a career year from a starting pitcher, that's just not who I am, and yeah. again, the value on story felt so good there that I, I kind of had to pull the trigger, but um, tell me a little bit more about your draft, because you did lead off with two starting pitchers, Max Scherzer in the first, Garrett Cole in the second. You were right in the middle of the order at seventh pick overall. Was it always your intention to draft a starter in that spot? Yeah, 100% of the time it was. And, you know, I'll keep going back to this idea of scarcity. One of the biggest, one of the most scarce resources that we have is players that steal and are also good at other categories, right? There are some guys who steal, but a lot of them are like, you know, just, just Billy Hamilton. Yeah, exactly. Who I ended up getting because, uh, because I hate myself, but, (laughs) but so you see what the first three picks trout bets and Jose Ramirez, those guys are like unicorns, bro. They're, they're just straight unicorns. And I think they deserve to be the first three picks. And if I had been lucky enough to get one of those picks, I would have taken them aside from that. The scarce resources to me are not Nolan Arenado. They are not Aaron Judge. Um, they're, they're not Lindor. They're not even yet. Eh, it's kind of Yelich, but you know, that's I, another one sure. where you're paying for a career year potentially, and that that's a little scary for sure. Exactly, exactly. I I love Yelich, and I've always loved Yelich. Do I love him as like the eighth best player in fantasy? I uh, don't quite think so. But regardless, to me, once you get past those unicorns. On the hitting side, there's unicorns on the pitching side. And again, there are so many good players, good hitters to me in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounds that there's pitchers going there who are sketches balls like Bumgarner and Luis Castillo and Jack Flaherty. And, you know, I mean, these guys, they all have talent. They're all good. But like Carlos Martinez, Charlie Morton, Miles Michaelis, like these guys are not aces. And great hitters are going around this time. So for me, I would, if I don't have one of those first picks, I'm like, I would rather get my pitching unicorn and, you know, really be into that solid middle tier of hitting and just knock that out than go the opposite route um, and have to rely on, you know, Zach Wheeler or Luis Castillo as like my ace or number two pitcher. Like, I'm not about that life. So that was always my intention. And it was really funny because Batflip Crazy, uh, Toby, uh, had the sixth pick. And him and I had the exact same idea. So he went DeGrom, and then I went Scherzer. And then coming back in the second, I was hoping Verlander would make it to me. And he almost did. And Z- Danny Zarki, who's won this league before, uh, took him right before me. So I went Cole. And then uh, that flip went 
Trevor Bauer. So we both went pitcher pitcher with our first two picks and, you know, and, and let guys like Trevor story, Juan Soto, et cetera, go past. And that was a tough thing to do, but that was the way I planned it out when I had the seventh pick and, and I ended up executing it. When you, when we talk about my next couple picks, I have my next couple picks in mind and, and thankfully it ended up working. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, just to kind of put a little bit, put you to the screws a, a little bit more on the pitcher versus hitter in the first round, like, yeah. can you explain why you don't regard like Trey Turner or Jose Altuve as those types of unicorn players on the hitting side? Because they give you that speed that you want. Are you, do you just feel like you're not getting as much from them in terms of power and RBI? Is that why you would still rather have a pitcher at seven than one of those other two guys? Yeah, it really is. I mean, so something I do is I, so people use, tend to use dollar values in, uh, in auction drafts, right? Yeah. As, as you should, but a lot of people don't use dollar values in snake drafts, which I also think you should do because how how else would, could you compare a pitcher to a hitter, right? You know, they're, they're apples to oranges, but if you spit out dollar values with reasonable projections, you know, you see, you can kind of compare apples to apples. And so for me, the top pitchers, uh, dollar value wise, you know, spat out in the mid forties and Altuve came out at 31 bucks for me. Right. Um, let I'm me not see an Altuve guy, just to like full disclosure. I think that Altuve is, is a little bit overrated. I mean, Mike took him at 13th overall. I think that's fine, but I yeah. probably would have rather had a pitcher in that spot or even some of the guys who went in the second round, like Paul Goldschmidt, like Bryce Harper, uh, Manny Machado, even, even though he's not on a team yet, like th- those yeah. guys that potentially have that big power with, you know, helping in steals sort of upside. Like I like those types of guys more than I like Altuve, who's like all speed and runs and a little bit of power. I I, I don't know if that's correct, but that's kind of the way that my brain works. And that those are like my default settings when it comes to Roto Baseball. Well, it's, it's mine too. And I would certainly highly consider Trey Turner uh, with this pick in a normal five by five right. because Trey Turner's a, you know, 290 ish hitter, I think for his career, but he only projects out. I only have him projected for like a 340 on base. So he goes from like really good runs and really good steals and really good average to only two of those categories in an OBP league. That's not enough for me to like build a team around. So in a five by five NFBC, I'm if Trey falls to me at number seven, I mean, I'm highly considering him. But in an on base league, he loses some of that luster. And then so does Jose Altuve to a lesser extent. Altuve is still a good on base guy. You know, he, I have him projected for a 376 on base. That's really, really, really good. But, you know, is he going to hit like that many more than 20 homers, if at all? I'm not sure about that. You know, we saw him kind of reduce his stolen bases. And I think it's fair to say Altuve is still a really good player. And we probably saw the best of him already in terms of like that power speed. So that, that's kind of how I think about those guys. Yeah. And I mean, you talked about Trey Turner having, you know, a 340 on base and that not being very good. I mean, and that's a fine on base percentage. The, the problem is, is that in, in a league this deep, in a league with this many players being drafted, if you are taking a 340 in the first round, like that can really hamstring you late because in the like mid to late rounds, there are basically no good on base guys who are going to help you in any other categories. Like there are a handful of like OBP only types of players, but those guys are such a sink on the rest of your categories that you're really, you know, taking a hit if you're drafting like, 
I mean, Francisco Cervelli is the first guy who comes to mind, but that doesn't really count because he's a catcher. But, um, I mean, do, do you know what type of player I'm talking about? Can you give a better example than my Cervelli take here? Oh, sure. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to like besmirch, uh, like Sin Su Chu. Um, no, it's a good I example. Love, but I love Chu, but I think he's close to the archetype you're talking about a little bit. For sure. Yep. And um, th- that is kind of actually a recurring theme of you, you look at Todd's draft. He actually drafted Shin Su Chu and, I think it was one of those things where he took Adalberto Mondesi in the fourth round, you know, just a right. complete on-base percentage drain. And it seemed like every hitter pick after that was was meant to make up for the fact that he took on this, like, black hole in OBP. And <laughs> those are the type, like, he's got Shinsu Chu, he's got Jed Lowry. Like, th- those are the types of things you're you're battling against. And, again, if you take Trey Turner in the first round, like, you either have to accept that you're not going to finish super high in on-base percentage, or you have to, like twist your draft strategy or like warp your draft strategy so much to kind of make sure that you're not getting dinged too much by the fact that he's 340 when you know uh like jose ramirez is 380 or whatever you know what i mean yeah exactly exactly so yeah it just just takes that one category from like a benefit to okay you're average at it and i think that moves you down from being like dude your first pick is the player you're revolving your team around this is the foundation of your freaking team like dude he better be boss and so those guys with warts, et cetera, like, it's like, no thanks. Like, I'll take the guy that I like that I think provides the scarcest resources. I can't get a guy like Max Scherzer anywhere else but in the in the first or second round. You know, it's like even guys who have great skills, like um, some of these younger guys, uh, like Walker Bueller, for example. You know, Bueller's not going to – he might be skills-wise, like, as good as Garrett Cole, who I got in the second. No question. But he's going to pitch – he's likely to pitch way less innings. He'll have way less quality starts because the Dodgers don't like stretch their guys out. He's way less of a pitcher than I think Garrett Cole is from a fantasy perspective in this format. And so for me, I want to lock those guys up early because there's only a couple of them. Yeah. You mentioned that you, if you had like a top three pick, you would have taken Trout or Betts or Jose Ramirez. Oh yeah. At at number four, are you taking Scherzer or are you taking a hitter in that spot? Because there are a few more options than some of the guys we've listed to this point. Yeah. I'm taking Scherzer in this format. Yeah. He was, he was my number four pick and DeGrom was my number five. Yeah. Fair enough. Now in general, like I really like the team you ended up with. And this is one of the things, like one of the reasons I wanted to take a pitcher at the two, three turn was mostly because I thought that the two guys I picked there weren't going to be there. Like I I figured that, like I was hoping to get Garrett Cole in that spot. Right. But the way the draft broke, like you took him in the middle of the second round instead of me getting him at the end of the second round. And at that point, like I I don't like to chase runs too much. In fact, like if you look at how this draft played out, like typically if there was a run going on and it came to me, I would typically just avoid that when I could, um, because I waited so much at starting pitcher, like I didn't ha- always have that luxury. Like there were definitely a few rounds where, like coming back to me in an even numbered round, it would go like Eno would take a pitcher, then Justin would take a pitcher, and I would be like, "Oh shit, now I got to take one too." <laughs> right. <laughs> but but usually, like if I was in that mindset, it was probably because I was already planning to take one. You know what I mean? Like the mm-hmm. run didn't dictate the fact that I was going to take a pitcher there. Like my roster dictated that I was going to take a pitcher there, and I think that that's a a subtle distinction that you have to make. Um, Lindor aside, what was the first pick that really surprised you in this draft? Was it DeGrom at six or or maybe something in the second or third round that kind of stood out to you? It was like, whoa, I didn't think he would go that high. Let's see. I'm looking at it right now. So I, th- I think it was probably Lindor. Um, and again, like 
that could easily be a great value if he comes back. But that was that was one that surprised me just in the sense of like I'm not quite sure where he'll go. I think the other one um, is Vlad Guerrero Jr. Um, went at the end of the third and. I mean, you will not find a bigger Vlad G. Jr. honk than me. Like, I, <laughs> I mean, I love this guy. I loved his dad. Like, you know, I was, I, I, I owned, uh, the senior the year he almost went 40 40. I think he went like 42 39. I believe, I believe, right? But the thing that I think Vlad provides, his number one asset is, an elite batting average. I think the big talk of first pitch Arizona this year was that steamer projected him to like lead the majors in batting average, which is just completely out of control for a conservative projection system. But in an on base percentage league, I think that helps, you know, it's kind of mitigated, right? Vlad's not like a guy who's going to walk a hundred times a year because that's not his, his genetic code. But I think that if you're going to take a guy that high, um, he should be elite in that area, and I think there's a case for him in batting average leagues there. But in an on-base league, I probably would not have gone there with the uncertainty about when he'll be up, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't know. I mean, I look at the other third baseman that went after him, and I can still kind of see it. You know what I mean? Like, the next third baseman taken was Anthony Rendon. Right. I mean, Rendon's definitely going to give you more in on-base, but... I mean, Guerrero might give you more everywhere else, right? Like, I, I don't know if I can really pan that pick too much. It, it was surprising, don't get me wrong, mostly for, like, the playing time concerns I have with Guerrero. Uh, but I don't know. Like, I, I, f- I feel like the pick is somewhat justifiable, don't you? I mean, I, I we're dealing with a sharp group here. You know, the, the yeah. reality is, is there are so many sharp owners in this league that, I mean, I don't necessarily look at any of the picks and I'm like, oh, that was stupid. You know, um, for me, in a one-year league like this league uh you know Rendon like projects out to like you know at 375 on base he's going to get a full complement of playing time I think we hope that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. does what Anthony Rendon should do this year and so I mean for me that's like I, I I'm not going to pay for the come right I'm going to pay for for the guy who I think is just going to do it in his sleep and that's Rendon yeah fair enough now um one one player who was drafted a few picks ahead of Vlad Guerrero is someone I'm really curious about this year. It's Clayton Kershaw. Uh, mm-hmm. Danny, who took Lindor in the first round, also took Kershaw in the third round. So I guess just to hell with injury concerns when it comes to Danny. Um, wh- what do you think about Kershaw this season? Because I, I'll, I'll be honest, like, Sometimes I think that name value, like I, I agree that name value should never dictate how a player gets drafted, but this is one of those cases where I, I'm surprised he's slid down ADP as far as he has. Do you think that the hate is fair for Kershaw at this point? Like, should he be kind of drafted in that same tier as Cole and Verlander and Trevor Bauer? Because I, I'm confused by it. Like, I expected him not to have fallen off this bad. So I am. As a longtime owner of Clayton Kershaw and current owner in a keeper league, uh, in, in an NL keeper league, uh, I do have some concern. And I think the, the concerns are twofold. I think one of them is the injury concern. Uh, as, as us old dudes know, like bad backs don't tend to like get better sure. <laughs> as you age. <laughs> Mine hasn't. Um, and, and I think the other thing is, is his waning fastball velocity. I mean, Kershaw's a guy who used to average 93, 94, and now he's down like under 90. And it's like, look, I I don't want to like ring the alarm bells too hard, but two years ago, we were saying the same thing about Felix Hernandez. 
you know? Yeah, it's like, enough. oh, well, Felix can still get by with diminished fastball velocity. He's one of the greatest pitchers of our time. You know, he just won a Cy Young two years ago. Guess where Felix is right now? He's not getting drafted in any of these rounds in a 14-team league. And it's like, dude, time comes for us all. And I'm afraid it's coming for Clayton Kershaw. The reality is, is that you can only stand on top of the mountain for so long. And he stood on top of it for like seven years. I mean, just absolutely incredible. Um, I do think it's fair to take him around here because he is still Clayton Kershaw. And so it's tough to know where to take him. But honestly, where he went, I think is pretty fair. Like middle of the third round, I think is a fair value for him. That's kind of the thing with me is like I, I'm like a few years ago, Verlander kind of fell off for a season. And right. I mean, yeah, he's, he's the antithesis to Felix Hernandez, isn't he? Right. And that's what I'm saying is like, and he turned it around. Like I'm, and I hate to play this, like, well, player A did it. So player B should be able to do it as well. Like these are different guys. And, and like you said, like this, the circumstances are different for each of them, but I, I could see Kershaw bouncing back, I guess is what I'm getting at. But I could too. I, the, I absolutely could. Like, I don't, if I thought he would never come back, I would not say take him in the third round. I just think there's enough question around it. I mean, the reality is sometimes you just don't know. I'm concerned, but I don't actually know. And so I think this is a like nice hedge spot to say it could go either way. I think it's good to take a chance here, you know? So so how do you like him in that spot? Not just relative to where the spot is in the draft board, but like relative to the other pitchers that went after him. Because right after Kershaw got drafted, it was Luis Severino, Carlos Carrasco, Noah Syndergaard, uh, and then Vlad Guerrero, then Walker Bueller. So four out of the next five picks were all starting pitchers. Like, would you take the, any of those guys over Kershaw, any of the guys who are deeper in the in the draft? Like, where does he rank for you relative to other pitchers? Uh, I think, uh, let me let me actually bring up where I had the ranks. And, you know, I, I've done these ranks, but, like, these are not, like, my final That's ranks. Right you know, the, yeah. Super, the Super Bowl was just a week ago, so this is how I'm working with it. But based on what I was doing into this draft, I would have taken Carrasco and Severino in front of him, and I would have taken him ahead of Syndergaard and Bueller. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I had him ranked higher than this, but I, again, I tend to devalue pitching, so I was, I would have just been too afraid to draft him at all. I would have let, I wanted him to be someone else's concern, and that's what happened here. Um, what was the toughest pick you had to make? Like, where was the spot in the draft where you were really kind of waffling between two players? Uh, I think it happened after the first four picks. So, I actually had my first four picks planned out uh, before the draft once we knew the uh, actual final draft order. <laughs> that, uh, that, that Subtle shots have, at Justin Mason right here. Yeah, that may or may not have changed multiple times uh, before the draft. So. Hey, we, had, we added drafters, man. The draft order had to get redone. We can't just, like, stick, you know, at, at last pick or something, can we? Maybe we can. No, could. no, for sure. <laughs> I, I think it was more that uh, that, like, it changed once. Um, before that happened, and then it changed again. So we were actually on our third draft order by the time it got set. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I, I'm not going to complain, though, because in both the second and third versions, <laughs> I ended up at first pick. So I, I think... no, no complaints from Greg. Meanwhile, uh, I had the top pick uh, in the first iteration of drafts. So I may or may not be bitter about it. I'm not going to really... Uh... Not gonna say. I think but... I think Justin, our commissioner, did a fine job in this instance. <laughs> yeah, I'll also uh, go as high as he did a fine job. <laughs> yeah. 
course, he landed at number two, strangely enough. Hmm. Mm, interesting. Mm. No, it, Justin <laughs> does do a great job. And, you know, all jokes aside, it's, uh, you know, being a commissioner is a tough and thankless job. So no doubt. No uh, doubt. we won't give him a, a real hard time about it. All right. So you talked about your first four picks. You took Scherzer, then Cole, then you landed Joey Votto somehow in the third round of an OBP league and Joey Gallo in the fourth round. I'm surprised you got Gallo there as well, but I can kind of see it just because the stink from average leagues is still kind of on him there. And it's not like his OBP is insane. He's just better in an OBP league than he is in an average league. But you said the fifth pick was where you really kind of started to have a a harder time making your choice. What, what happened there? Yeah. So the, the first four, so it was always my plan. If I went pitcher pitcher to get either Votto Rizzo, uh, Marte or, uh, Chris Bryant in the third round. And if all four of those guys went before my third pick, I was just up shit creek. You know, I, I didn't even know. I didn't even have a contingency plan. So thankfully, uh, Votto was left. And I was really, really happy to get, I mean, there he's a 420 on base guy. You know what I mean? And he's got warts. But the reality is, with your first hitter to get that kind of like, uh, just monster in a single category uh, and a scarce category was yeah. really awesome. And then Joey Gallo, you talked about pairing players together. You know, Joey Gallo, he goes from like this awful average guy. He's hit 206 and 209 the last two years, and he projects out at about a 330 on base, which is fine. It's league average, but he's a monster in home runs, chips and steals, runs, RBIs. He's a really great player. And Joey Votto's power is kind of waning as he gets older. So I think pairing those two guys together is a really cool idea, and uh, and I did that. So I'm very happy with that. But then it got to my fifth pick, and then I was like, well, uh, what do I do now? And there were a number of guys there that I was considering. Justin Turner, Daniel Murphy, uh, Travis Shaw, uh, those guys I think were the three that I was really, really highly considering in that spot. And I ended up going with Justin Turner a guy I don't think I've ever owned before in fantasy because I don't really like him because he never plays 150 games. But again, it's, you know, when, when you don't take a hitter with either of your first two picks, you're going for upside. And I think in terms of like a guy who can provide huge on base and be good in all the other categories, I think Turner kind of fits that bill. So I ended up going with him and I'm not sure if that was right, but I ended up getting Murphy with my next pick. So that worked out, but with my Murphy pick in the sixth, I was like, should I take him or Corey Seager? Should I take him or Travis Shaw? So uh, there were all these like decisions that ended up, you know, uh, kind of building on each other as the rounds went on. And, you know, you just try to navigate it the best you could. And I don't know if I did it well, but I think it turned out all right. But I think you, you nail kind of, that's the inflection point of the draft is like round four, round five, round six, where, through the first three rounds, you're basically getting a bunch of really good players. Like, kind of no matter where you draft, like, you can put together three really nice pieces from, you know, various positions, but you can set yourself up. And then at that point, the warts really start to kind of shine through with every player who's left. Like, you know, you talked about Justin Turner not being able to play full seasons all the time. Uh, I mean, 
Travis Shaw, like th- there are some warts there. Like I, I had the same sort of experience with my draft where I got to start out with Mike Trout, Chris Bryant, Trevor Story. Like oh, I, I am so, that's so good, bro. Very, <laughs> very excited about those three players. And I got yeah. George Springer in the fourth round, who's another player I like, who a lot of other people have soured on, and, and I get it. Um, but he's still young enough and in a good enough lineup to where I'm not too worried about him. Like I, I'm not, I don't mind paying up for guys who have the pedigree like Springer does coming off like a, a down year or, you know, at a point in their baseball careers where, or fantasy careers where they're a little, you know, out of favor, I guess, or out of vogue. And, but, but after that, like every round and, and picking on the turn makes it a little more complicated because you really have to try to forecast what positions are going to run. But like, it seemed like every pick after that Springer pick, I was just like, I had no idea what to do. And I was just throwing darts, man. It was like, well, I need a pitcher. So who's the best pitcher available at the five, six turn? And, to me, it felt like James Paxton, and I don't know, man. Like, is James Paxton good in that spot? You tell me. Like, I have no idea if that's if he's worthy of that pick. Like, having switched teams, going to a team that has such a good bullpen. Like, in a quality yes. starts league, like Paxton's going to give me the strikeouts per inning that I want. But is he going to go six often enough for for like the quality starts to be there? I have no idea. Like, what what do you think about that pick? To to me, James Paxton is Justin Turner as a pitcher. Sure. Right. He's you can probably only count on, you know, 150, 160 from him. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't even know what I have him projected for, but he's not going to uh, pitch 200 innings just like Justin Turner isn't going to play 150 games. But you can feel fairly confident that those innings are going to be really, really high quality. And I think when you forego, uh, like me, I forewent hitting at the beginning. So I'm going to have to take guys who can be elite but have warts. And I think that's what you did. You took so many good hitters and it's like, okay, the pitchers that are left now, there's no 200 plus inning, 225 plus strikeout, 25 quality start guys left. Can I get a guy that does that, but in 160 innings? And I think you did. So I talent wise, I think he's a great pick there. And if you get 160 to 180 out of them, you're pumped. So I, I do think it was a good pick. Yeah, and I mean, but that was kind of the thing with pitching for me the whole way. It was like after that, I'm taking a Rocky starter and and German Marquez, uh, and then I'm taking like Kyle Hendricks to kind of balance out the fact that I'm probably not going to get the innings from Paxton, but I want the quality starts. That was, that was actually a really good pick, bro. I was so pumped he made it to me in that round. Like when Eno took Eduardo Rodriguez and then Justin took Nick Pavetta, I like huge sigh of relief because like I wanted just that boring guy you know what I mean I wanted the innings eater even if I wasn't going to get the strikeouts from him that those guys are going to get from Rodriguez and and Pavetta so yeah no complaints about that one that was one of my favorite picks of of my own draft um Mm. how about you what was one of your favorite picks from like the middle or later rounds uh shoot uh I would say I mean some of the later picks that I got that I think were pretty good um Nelson Cruz I got in the eighth Mm-hmm. which isn't like a later round, but I don't know what pick that is, like 106. Um, I was like happier than a dog with two dicks to get him at like, you know, 15 picks after his regular ADP. Um, I, I just think he's a tremendous value, you know? I mean, he's util only, so it's like people don't like him, but, you know, he wakes up and he hits his 30-plus homers and he has his 350 on base, and it's like, okay, those kind of stats are like going in like the fifth round, you know? Um, so I really liked Cruz a little bit later. Um, I liked, uh, Jonathan scope in the 19th. I thought that was pretty solid. Scope's not a big on base guy, but you know, he's like a couple years removed from two years removed from hitting like 30 plus homers with a hundred plus RBIs. 
um, as a second baseman. I think he's solid. I liked Justin Bohr. I got Bohr in the 22nd. He's slated to get full-time playing time. I think he's got like a career 340-plus on base percentage. And, you know, if he, if he has Mike Trout on base in front of him, I think that's good. So Ben, ben Zobris in round 26, man, that, was, that feels like a steal in an on-base percentage league. Dual eligibility in a good lineup. He's not going to play every day, but we have daily roster moves, so you can kind right. of filter him in and out when he's going to play. You know, you can play his lefty-righty splits a little bit. I thought, like, he was one of those guys who I I meant to draft earlier, and he was just buried so far down the rankings that I just kind of missed him. You know what I mean? Like, But I love that pick. Um, kind of more in the middle. I loved your run of Masahiro Tanaka, Shane Bieber, and Kyle Schwarber in the 12th through 14th rounds. Like, uh, Tanaka yeah, kind of reminded me, uh, like, he was like another version of Hendricks, right? A guy who you can count on for, like, solid stats when he pitches. You're probably only going to get, like, 160 to 180 innings. But, you know, the ratios are going to be solid. Bieber, I just think there's a lot of upside there. And Schwarber kind of, you know, fits the bill for on base. He may not play every day, but, again, you can kind of play into his splits because we can change our rosters daily. Like, I feel like getting him in the 14th was a, was a pretty screaming value. I, I was really hoping to get him at the end of the 14th, but you sniped me there. So I, those were three picks of yours that, that I really liked. Um, well, you, you ended up getting Loriano uh, on that on that swing. So that was a guy that I was coveting on the way back. So uh, turnabout is fair play. I do agree that Schwarber, um, Schwarber is great in daily moves leagues. He's just so, so, so money because he's like, He's kind of like Nelson Cruz on the days he faces a righty, yep. um, which is most days. And then it was purposeful for me to get Ben Zobris because a lot of times, you know, one's in the lineup and one's not. They're ne- not necessarily matches for each other. They're not. They're like each other's platoon partner. But I do think there's some overlap there that you can play in dailies. And uh, I guess the other pick I liked, uh, I took Jeff McNeil, a guy I just believe in his skills in the last round. Nobody wanted him because he's not really slated to start. Um, but I just think he's a good player. And then today, out of nowhere, they said that, yeah, we're going to try him in the outfield and he's going to play against righties. They, they like said that. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Like, we'll see, we'll see how, how good he ends up being. But he was a guy that hit, I think, 311 and with a 380 on base in his minor league career and then came up last year and hit well. So if I get anything from my last round pick in McNeil, a guy like, I mean, I think that's pretty cool. So, uh, God willing, that's that's what'll happen. Yeah, I actually highlighted him to ask you about him because I had never heard of him before. So, if I've never heard of him, chances are a lot of the listeners haven't either. Can you tell us a little bit more, just like basic stuff, like what team he plays for, what position, like? And you mentioned kind of the minor league profile, but is there anything else that like makes you like him more than say some other prospects uh, on top of that kind of basic uh, biographical info? Yeah, so so McNeil, uh, he came up last year, and I think he played like 60 games or so uh, with the Mets, and he was not a real heralded prospect. I mean, last year was his first year. He's 26 years old. Like, this is not like one of these young hotshots that's up at 23. Um, but he's one of those guys that just kind of like wherever he's been uh, through all levels, he's hit well. You know, like I said, his minor league career, I'm bringing it up now, yeah, 311 batting average, 380 on base. Um, he's a guy that in the lower minors stole some bases. Last year with the Mets, he stole, you know, he hit uh, three homers and stole seven bags in 60 games. And so I think he's just a guy that I don't want to call him young Zobrist because Zobrist, when he was young, was like an on base monster. Yeah. But he kind of has those skills where nothing really jumps off the page. 
but if he, you know, if, if he can hang with like a 360 on base in the major leagues, not a lot of guys do that. And it'll just be really interesting to see how much playing time he ends up getting. But I just think he's a solid hitter. And, uh, and I like good hitters, you know? Those are yeah. good. And in the last round, why not? Now, one guy you took a lot higher who um, might be an unknown to a lot of folks because he's an import this season is uh, Yusei Kikuchi. And, of course, with a name like that, you promptly named your team uh, after him uh, with the Snoochie, Snoochie Kikuchis. And a shout out. Snoochie Kikuchis! <laughs> shout out Jay and Silent Bob, man. Um, but, like. <laughs> Tell the listeners more Thank about you this for the guy. Shout out. I was real proud of that one, actually. What do you, What do you like about Kikuchi, and uh, what What do you think he's going to return this year for fantasy owners? So, uh, if I could tell you that I knew, uh, I would be lying to you. I did a podcast, uh, a baseball holics episode, a couple weeks ago with Doug Thorburn, who's a good friend of mine. Writes for Baseball Prospectus, uh, basically pitching mechanics guru. Plays against us in this league as well. Right, yeah, he's in the league also. And and he checked a little bit of Kikuchi out and just gave him like a thumbs up. You know, he's like, I really like this guy. He's, he's a left-hander. Um, I think he's 27 this year. And he's just been real solid over in Japan. Um, you can't just look at Japanese numbers and say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's going to happen in the majors because it's a totally different league. But he's a guy in, in Japan who had a 281 career ERA, a 118 career whip. Um, and Doug said he saw him. He, he has really good mechanics. He's throwing, you know, 92, 93 from the left side with a good breaking ball. So that's about all that we know. Um, but for me, I just, I just thought, Hey, I want to take a chance on some guys. I needed a fourth starter or a fifth starter at that point. And I thought he was just a good upside guy to take. And I also have, you know, a theory that is like not founded in any sort of statistical backing. Hold on. Let but, me see if I can guess it. Go ahead. That the imports in the first half of the season, because no one has seen them and there's not enough tape on them, are going to be good, and that you <laughs> can flip that player mid-season based upon a, a good start. How yeah, that's, that's the one. And yeah. I don't know if it's like even the first half, but I just think about like guys like Dice K and Hideo Nomo, who when they first came, you know, they were just like people didn't know what to make of them, and it took so long. And again. You know, I, I, I'm not, like, thinking of, like, Hideki Arabu or anything like that, sure. the counterpoint. So I don't know if that's actually something that's true. But, you know, I decided to go with a little narrative street, and we'll, we'll see if it works out. I don't know. Well, I, I'm I'm the reason I can guess, I was able to guess your theory about this type of player is because I totally agree with this. I'm on that street <laughs> with you. Awesome. <laughs> and, but, I mean, the thing is, is, like, you're pairing that narrative with the fact that, you know, Doug told you he had good mechanics, that he, you know, has this velocity that should translate to the majors. And so, like, right. it, there, there's more to it than that. You're you're not oversimplifying it. Now, what, one guy that Doug drafted I kind of wanted to get your temperature on was Rich Hill. Uh, he went in the 13th round of this draft. And I'm just curious, what's your approach to a player like this who, like, We've talked a little bit about how certain pitchers we can't really expect to hit 180 innings. With Rich Hill, we might not be able to even expect him to hit 150. And like, but we, when he pitches, we know he's going to be good. Like, yeah. what's your approach to drafting those guys? Like, how soon is too soon? Um, and kind of where, where do you fall on that archetype of player? You know, I think it all depends on your team matchup or your team construction. Uh, Doug was a guy that you know he ended up taking two hitters with his first two picks and then went Severino and then he didn't take another pitcher until Luis Castillo. So Luis Castillo is his number two pitcher. And when Luis Castillo is your number two, it's like, okay, 
this sucks. I need to like do something <laughs> to change this. <laughs> Is that what happens? <laughs> right. And so I, I mean, I like Rich Hill. I'm actually shocked and appalled that Doug took him because Doug hates Rich Hill, <laughs> <laughs> which is just great. But I actually, I, I love Rich Hill for exactly the reason you mentioned. You don't know how much he's going to pitch, but he's kind of gotten to the point where I feel really confident that when he pitches, he's going to pitch really good. And, uh, you know, some of these guys, it's like, okay, I'm getting 140 innings of question mark. Um, the two guys that went before him, Joe Musgrove and Shane Bieber, uh, me and Batflip Crazy took those guys. But I- I'm kind of thinking maybe I should have taken Rich Hill because I know I'll get like 120 innings of some pretty bomb. And, you know, that might have more value than 140, 150 of a little bit more question mark. Yeah, I, I I agree. Like, I think at some point, like, those guys just become worth it for the efficiency that they give you relative to the innings that they do pitch. Now, yeah. in the next round, uh, Eno Saris took Jorge Polanco uh, kind of towards the end of the 14th, and that was a pick that kind of surprised me because he wasn't really a guy who was on my radar. Is he being, I mean, not to say that that was like a reach or anything, because, you know, in the 14th round, again, you're, you're kind of grasping at straws in a 14-teamer already. What's what do you think the appeal of Jorge Polanco is in that spot? Is it just the fact that he's probably going to bat leadoff? Uh, I think the thing about Polanco is he's just like so average, right? And <laughs> I mean, when when you're whatever round we're in, like the thirteenth, something like that, fourteenth, yeah. Where where are we with where are we with Polanco? Yeah, it's like dude, getting a guy that can hit fifteen homers and steal fifteen bases and not kill you in the ratios uh, is actually really valuable. And the reality is that. Polanco's been around a while, but he's only 25 this year. And so there's probably a little upside from what we've seen. Um, He's not a guy like I think is going to win you a league or anything, but when you're whatever 200 picks into a draft and you can get a guy that can get like mid-double-digit homers and steals and not kill you in in, you know something like on base or anything like that, I actually think there's a lot of value there. And uh, I, I... like I said, I don't love Polanco, but I think where he's going on average is probably a little bit too low. And uh, and I think it was a pretty good value by Eno. No, I agree. Like, it was one of those things where, like, once I looked at, you know, kind of his stat profile after the fact, I, I just, he wasn't really a guy who was on my radar when the pick was made. And so that made me kind of look at him in a new light and say, oh, man, yeah, I mean, if Eno's taking him there, he's probably worth it. And so... Like, what what am I missing? Oh, he has a pretty decent on base. He's going to give you some pop, some speed. Like, he's kind of not going to kill you anywhere, and he's going to likely bat towards the top of his lineup. Like, I, I think... Yeah, let me, let me tell you something, by the way. Eno is no joke. Like, this is the first league I've actually played in Eno with, and you know how, like, some analysts, like, have a big name, but they're actually not that good? Uh, Eno is actually good. Like he really did good in this draft. Yeah, the man. We talked about my James Paxton pick earlier, and he was like kind of across the room from me when like we were at that point in the draft. We were driving pretty close to each other, but when I made that pick, he kind of he asked, double checked with me. He's like, "Who'd you take?" And I said, "James Paxton." He's like, "Oh, okay, I'll take Jack Flaherty." I was like, "Fuck." <laughs> Because those were the two guys I was wearing, weighing against each other. I'm like, man, if, if he seems so relieved that I didn't take Flaherty, that I took Paxton, and immediately made me regret that pick. And it's part of why, like, I was so like skeptical about it. You know, just whatever it was, 20 minutes ago when we were talking about it. So I totally yeah. agree. Like, he made a bunch of picks in this draft for us. Like, shit, man, I, I hated being so close to him in the pick order because 
yeah, he just he kept on crushing it, man. I, it's it's really frustrating. <laughs> same, same. He put me on tilt later when uh, you know, I really liked the Tanaka pick, but I was between Tanaka and Ronet Odor, and mm-hmm. and when it got to him, he goes, "Oh yes, thank God," and he takes Odor, and I'm just like, "No!" <laughs> like I just completely went on tilt. Um, but uh, the fourteenth round, you're talking about this, dude. I'm looking at our draft. Look at the guys who went in the fourteenth: Miguel Sano. Jorge Polanco, Adam Eaton, Jake Bowers, Kyle Schwarber, Austin Meadows, Chris Taylor, Josh James, Ryan Braun, Jesse Winker, John Lester, like Tyler Skaggs, Will Smith, legit closer for the Giants, Austin Meadows, if I didn't say him already, that was a legit round full of talent. Like that, Mm -hmm. that was a good round. Yeah, that's where like this league is going to be a lot different than like the home league that I play in with my buddies where there are no freebies in the middle rounds anymore. Like, and by the time you get to like the 20th round, like every pick feels completely miserable. You're like, Oh God, I guess I'll take Yuli Gurriel or, Oh fuck. I'm taking Michael Waka here. And like, forget about the catcher position. Like I, I routinely punt catcher. I did again in this draft and I ended up with Tyler flowers and Jonathan Lucroy. Like just kill me. Like I just, I, I, I know I don't want, to pay up for catcher, but I still want guys who are better than that, but you just can't help it because you're so busy trying to like catch up at every position that like the positions that generally don't matter, like, you know, closer or catcher or whatever, you you just can't, you can't help but avoid that. You're really just going to be taking a huge L somewhere on your roster because everybody in the league is so sharp. It's, it's maddening. That, that is correct. Uh, Danny Zarki uh, snaked me for Buster Posey in the 10th. Which I was like, oh, Posey's still here. This is great. Like, it, it's lit. <laughs> you know, this guy's going in, like, the fourth round last year. And I know he had, like, off-season hip surgery and he's older. But, like, 10th round for, like, a catcher like that, that's awesome. And he took him the pick before. That tilted me. I ended up with Mike Zanino, who's just a stone-cold lock for, like, a 290 on base, which is just so awful. Um, and Chris Iannetta, who... Uh, oh, I honestly, wanted Iannetta. You, you snaked me on Iannetta. That was the guy I wanted instead of Flowers. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I wanted uh, Omar Narvaez instead of uh, instead of Ionetta, but I blew it. And like I said, it's February 9th. I'm not as prepared as I should be. And I had uh, Ionetta uh, ahead of Narvaez, which I don't believe in. I'd rather have Narvaez. Um, and I took Ionetta instead. So that tilted me. So uh, and, and, and thusly, the tilt ended up passing on to you in kind of a butterfly effect. It's a cascade of tilt across the entire league. That's right. <laughs> All right, Sammy, I, I feel like I've had you for, for long enough, but um, anything else that stood out to you here? Were there any, like, picks that kind of made you reevaluate how you add certain players' rank, kind of like I talked about with Jorge Polanco, or uh, any, like, general draft strategies or, you know, concepts from this league that kind of stood out to you? You know, I, I just think it's one of these things where, you know, what I really did because I had so little time to prepare is I just kind of, like, took uh, a public projection um, off of fan graphs and like plugged it into a calculator and like printed it off. But what that does is it kind of blinds you to some upside gems later in the draft. Yeah, for I sure. I mean, the reality is when they're all like zero dollar and negative dollar players, you want guys with upside. And so because I hadn't like really tinkered with the ranks a lot, I missed out on some guys like Nick Senzel um, later in the draft, like some some guys who might not necessarily get a lot of playing time. Uh, Julio Urias, uh, guys like this, uh, that may not get a ton of playing time, but have big upside if they do. 
and uh, you know Scott Kingery went in the last round. I love that. Uh, those guys, I just love them as later round picks because they have a lot of upside, and I missed out on some of those guys because I wasn't well enough prepared. And uh, yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is just when it's time for you to draft, like just be prepared as possible. And early in the season, it's tough, but as it goes along, this is the time to be like making your lists and then adjusting them. Uh, as time goes on and news comes out, et cetera, so that when the draft time comes, you're like, you feel good about it. And so I wasn't quite there in this draft. The first half I liked. The second half was a little bit of a zoo. But, uh, yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully it turns out all right. Yeah, same. And I, if I have to give a shout-out to anybody in the league, I think it has to be Toby uh, at Batflip Crazy. Man, he had a bunch of those picks where I was like, man, forgot about that guy. Yep, forgot about him. Like over and over again, the the two potential closers for Boston, Matt Barnes and Ryan uh, Brazier, uh, he had this run in like the later rounds. It was Steven Souza, Steven Matz, and Cedric Mullins. Like, I feel like I missed all three of those guys as being like, but like that, all those guys went after I drafted, you know, Yuli Gurriel and Michael Walker. These picks that I hated, you know what I mean? Whereas like. Yeah. If I'm if I'm digging a little deeper, if I'm going past just what the projections tell me, you start to like sniff out that upside. And every draft is a learning experience, and I think this is definitely a big one for me because we're drafting with so many sharp people. And I look forward to kind of taking this and building on it with you know the rest of my leagues this season. I, I'm I'm super pumped for fantasy baseball, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this pod. So hopefully, you know, everybody out there listening is is similarly getting just as pumped as we are. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I echo you that that bat flip that uh, Toby did really well in this draft. We got to draft next to each other, uh, both in the draft order and physically. Uh, we <laughs> talked a lot about picks, etc. And so, uh, you know, it was my first time getting to meet him. He does awesome work. You you guys listening should definitely follow him on Twitter. He's like his Twitter account like puts out legit good information. He's real sharp. He does a podcast. Did a podcast on this draft on the drive home. I listened to it. It was really good. Um, and frankly. At the end of the day, man, this draft was just a load of fun. Like being able to hang out and, you know, drink beers and and just BS with like all these cool people um, and do this every single year uh, is really awesome. And I'm glad we got to do it again. Yep. Big shout out to Justin Mason for bringing it all together. Big shout out to Todd, uh, our bar Todd, for hosting us at the Rec Room in San Francisco. Thanks, Todd. Uh, yep. Those guys are awesome. This league is awesome. I can't wait to see how it plays out. Sammy, I really want to thank you for your time uh, tonight. Uh, I'll get this thing ready and, and up and posted ASAP. Uh, before we go, why don't you, I don't know, plug your work, uh, let people know where they can find you on social media and all that good stuff. Yeah, Twitter, at Sammy Reed FI. Uh, occasional good tweets from me, uh, but only occasionally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Baseball Holics Anonymous podcast, I do it with Doug Thorburn, who's a good friend of mine, also in the Barf Draft um, and he's just a wealth of knowledge. So we BS about baseball, uh, throughout the season. So you should like sub to that cause it's awesome. And, uh, yeah, I work for Roto Grinders, write columns for him and it's great. So yeah, hit me up on Twitter and, and, and BS with me. Always a good time. Do you want to talk shit about anybody in the league before we sign off? You know, uh, I, I think that we should talk shit about Ray Flowers just for not being there. Yeah, um, what a sack. Yeah. What a sack. I mean, I was just really disappointed, especially uh, after, I found out that Ray is like a crazy cat lady, like <laughs> um, in, in like a dude's body because I'm actually also a crazy cat lady in a dude's body. And I was like, 
Dude, Ray, I never knew this about you. I saw all these pictures of him, like, hanging out in cat onesies, and his cat has its own Twitter account. I'm like, holy shit, like, you're really into this. Um, but that really makes me like him. So I was actually mad that he wasn't there. Yep, I can confirm that in Sammy's avatar on Skype as we're recording this podcast, it is him holding a cat. So Yes, Sammy, my, my cat, Buster. Yeah, that's, def- that's, Definitely that's a cat person. Life. Me, I'm, <laughs> I'm all about that dog life, but I like cats too. I'm just a, an animal lover in general. And again, again, shout out to Todd for the vegetarian pizza. That was sick. Um, that does it for this episode. Uh, first kind of foray into baseball on uh, this new kind of iteration of the podcast. I hope y'all liked it. Uh, stay tuned for uh, more football talk eventually, more other stuff besides sports maybe. Um, it should be a good time. Uh, and as always, thank y'all for listening. We'll catch you next time. Adios. <laughs>